Hi, this is Chris Campbell, and welcome to the Food Institute podcast. Today, we will be speaking with Julie Company, Director of Client Strategy for Grocery Drug and Mass Channels at Velasis, with a focus on how these retail channels are faring during the pandemic. But first, whether you are a first-time listener or becoming something of a regular, we ask that you share this episode on your social media platforms. It really helps us expand our reach, and we appreciate it when you do so. So with that said, I'll introduce Julie and start off by asking how she's doing today. So how are you, Julie? I'm doing great, Chris. Thank you for uh, having me today. I'm really um, looking forward to our conversation. Uh, we really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. So I guess we could start. Would you be able to give your a uh, little background about yourself and your company, Velasis, for our listeners? You bet. Um, well, let's start with Velasis first, and I'll talk a little bit about my background. So Velasis is a Veracast business, and we are the leader in marketing technology and consumer engagement. We work with over 60,000 companies and brands in a wide variety of industries, and we partner with them to anticipate consumer intent, inspire action, and create demand. We've got a proprietary technology that actually connects billions of consumer behavior and location signals to enhance predictability, personalization, scalability of multi-channel campaigns. And, and that multi-channel campaigns include both print and digital media. Uh, so, and then a little bit about me. So I have, oh gosh, spent um, years of working for a CPG company. I've um, traveled around the world or around the country, actually moving for that particular company back in my early days of the career, and then ultimately moved into onto the other side of the desk. So I worked with uh, suppliers like IRI for several years, Catalina Marketing for um, almost 10 years, and then um, I've joined Velasis eight years ago and have been in a variety of functions, mostly marketing and or client strategy focused but very focused on what's happening in the grocery drug, mass, and dollar channels. Excellent. I think that insight is going to help us out a lot today in the conversation we're going to go over. Uh, and what I'd like to open up with is just kind of having a discussion about how the consumer is adjusting to not being able to eat out as regularly, regularly as they once were able to, and wondering whether or not grocers have an opportunity to kind of replace restaurant meals in your mind. You know, I really do think they do. Um, you know, Nielsen recently called this the homebody economy, um, and it's really fitting. But what I've seen is that there's just no doubt that with all the time the consumers are spending at home, that they're looking for new ideas for meals. They're getting a little bit tapped out on doing all the cooking themselves. Um, and we don't see the restaurant industry really returning to the way it used to be um, for any time soon, at, at least you know, in the foreseeable future. It, and as we think about when fall and winter hits, all that outdoor seating that we're loving and enjoying right now, in the northern mar markets especially, this isn't going to be an option. So that's where I think grocers can really start leaning in towards thinking about how to market like a restaurateur does, promoting that they can um, provide dinner for under $30 for a family of four, promoting their fresh prepared and their deli offerings, and even meal kits. Many retailers like Kroger uh, and Publix have ready-to-go meal kits that you can just take home, warm up, put on the table, maybe add a salad and make that you know look like you made it at home, but uh, you didn't have to put all that effort in. So I think in there, um, from a grocery standpoint, it, they have to focus on share of stomach and how to win that, but also aligning it to saving money for the consumer. Um, and as we as we look at the, because we work with QSRs and fast casual restaurants, we're seeing them ramp up their advertising 
and they routinely run coupons and because they know that coupons will drive trips into their um, locations. And if you think about yourself, I mean, even myself, um, I'm one of those 34% of households that two hours before dinner, I'm still not even thinking about or realizing what are we going to have tonight? I've got to figure that out. So tapping into that, grocers can win that because they are usually closer in proximity than a QSR. And the shopper can just quickly go over there knowing that their retailer has a ready to make um, or serve meal solution. And I have to tell you, one of the things that I think has been super clever that I have seen some retailers do is like um, my local jewel has what we call what they call cookie decorating kits. You walk into the bakery section and they have these already ready-made, you know, I don't know, foot and a half diameter cookies. And usually you would buy them from the bakery and they've got, you know, happy birthday or um, the Cubs logo or something like that already decorated on them. But no, what they're doing now is they're giving you all the ready-made frosting. They're giving you sprinkles. You go home and do your own cookie kit. So those are the types of things that grocers can lean into to really kind of win a meal occasion away from a restaurant and also keep it fun. I think that's interesting. It's one of the things we've noticed at the Food Institute across the the industry is kind of creating these experiential occasions, like you said, so that people can kind of fill in their free time now that they're stuck at home. But what (laughs) I'd like to do is jump back into one of the points you made there uh, regarding coupons. So I was wondering if you have any information about just overall use of coupons in the channels that you cover, and maybe if there's an appreciable difference between, uh, you know, print physical coupons versus, you know, new digital offerings that people are able to use through their apps. Absolutely. Um, you know, we recently released a report we call the Consumer Intel Report, and it's all about the modern shopper and how they focus on different behaviors as a result of uh, the pandemic. And what we found is that 70% of consumers are actually increasing their savings behaviors, which includes utilizing coupons and searching for discounts. And they really are seeking value more than ever before from their primary grocer. And they're shopping multiple retailers to save money. So um, as we think about the impact of the pandemic, Velasquez has been doing monthly surveys to consumers in addition to this consumer intel report. And we have found that 53% of consumers have actually tried a brand new grocery store since the pandemic began. And their biggest driver for trying a new store was because of an offer or a discount or a deal. Um, and when we think about, you know, coupon specific to answer your question, you know, are they actually redeeming more coupons or less? Well, you know, during the worst of the pandemic, when shoppers were stocking up and the panic buying coupons, weren't a driver. People were just looking for what they needed. They wanted to get in and out as fast as possible. Um, and, and if you think back also back to March and April, there was some doubt and, you know, it was lack of knowledge, right? Is it safe to handle paper, paper coupons? Is it safe to handle paper money? Um, Consumers didn't have a confidence there. So um, that coupled with the panic buying and just buying what I need and not having time to even worry about looking for a savings on it um, drove early behaviors away from coupons. But now we're seeing that um, as, as this experience is longer than any of us expected, um, that 40% of consumers, and we learned this from our study, um, the Consumer Intel Report, are still looking for coupons when they plan their in-store shopping. And 34% say they're looking for uh, what we call either digital or paperless coupons. 
um, when they're planning their in-store trips. So uh, they are definitely um, focused on the usage of coupons. Um, and But it's interesting when you compare what people say versus what they actually do, it's, it's important to look at the do. Um, so in the case of, um, uh, I don't know if you're familiar, but Velasquez also owns the NCH company, which clears over 50% of household coupons that come through grocery stores, dollar stores, discount stores, you name it, and even online for online ordering. Um, and they release a mid-year report and their, their report captures both the printed coupon redemptions as well as the paperless coupons. And what we found in Q2 um, from their report is that 99% of the coupons that were being distributed during that window of time were in print and 77% of the redemptions were from print. So most definitely print coupons um, still dominate the consumer's focus when it comes to coupons. And there is growth in digital, no doubt about it. Um, but the quantity of coupons being distributed and redeemed with digital still have a long way to go to catch up to print. That kind of surprises me a little bit. You would think that perhaps the coronavirus would have really pushed that forward, but it seems that people are kind of sticking to something that they're familiar and comfortable with uh, as the pandemic kind of goes on. Would you agree with that? Yes, yes. Um, and, and also, you know, they're stuck at home, right? So you have a little bit more time to clip a coupon when you, in the past you didn't. And I think as the pandemic has taken hold, we're definitely seeing, you know, people are out of work. They're looking for ways to save. And coupons have always been, even during our great recession back in 08, um, we saw an upsurge in terms of usage of coupons. And what we're seeing as an organization, since we distribute coupons um, in the printed FSI as well as digitally, is you will we're seeing CPGs are actually um, investing into the back half. So there's most definitely a um, realization that that consumers are looking for savings in, every, in any way they can. So to switch gears a little bit, um, going off the fact that, you know, you said earlier that the pandemic is lasting a little bit longer than some of us would have hoped. Um, we were going from that six month track that some people predicted back in April and March when this first hit, and it's looking more like it might be a 12 to uh, 18 month total period under this new normal. But typically this time of year is the back to school shopping season, which is a type of panic buying that's in its own category. <laughs> but as we're moving into the back to school, Halloween, Thanksgiving, and even winter holiday seasons, as they approach, what can retailers do to really entice customers uh, during this incredibly important time period for the industry? Yeah, back to school has really been an interesting one, hasn't it? Um, <laughs> We had store, we had schools open, and then they they closed, or they're closing for a period of time, and in the hopes that they're going to reopen. Uh, the entire spending occasion of, uh, or the spending season of back to school, is going to get spread out as a result. Um, and kids will still outgrow their shoes and their clothes, but the deadline of a start of school for this particular date, and the kids all want to look their best and all that, is not the the situation we have this year. So. But they still do need those school supplies. So I, we definitely see moms out there buying school supplies, even if they're sitting at the dining room table, um, but may not be a new backpack. But, but it is going to be all those other pieces that you need, like a calculator. And the electronic side of back to school is exploding to the point that computer manufacturers can't even keep up. Um, so and as I think forward in terms of like grocery drug mass and dollar retailers, you know, and the impact with Halloween, 
it's it's a dilemma and normally this particular year being that halloween is falling on a saturday would have meant an even bigger halloween season uh routinely grocers start putting candy out in uh in in late august early september and we're already starting to see some some shelf sets switch over and and get all that halloween candy in and some of those costumes in into stock uh but I don't know what Halloween is going to look like this year. Um, I've heard parents, they really want to give their kids a Halloween, um, a typical Halloween, but you, then you have to weigh that safety of going door to door. Are they going to have their own home parties within their personal bubble? It's, it's, um, it's yet to be seen, right? I mean, I think candy and costumes are definitely going to see declines in my opinion, um, but grocers are ready and they're, they're going to be stocked and, um, to sell Halloween whatever it might look like holiday is going to be um, an interesting one that I think is going to get spread out. So we've already heard target and Walmart have announced that they're not going to be open on Thanksgiving day. Uh, Amazon has moved their prime day from what normally was July. Then they moved it to August. Now it's speculated it's going to land in October. And that was usually the kickoff of back to school season. So now it's going to be the kickoff, in my opinion, of holiday. So we'll see what happens with Amazon's decision on that. Uh, but I think we're going to see, you know, behavior shift again because consumers were going to are going to think about, okay, I don't want to go to a cr crowded, um, whether it's a, a mass store or a discount store, um, to buy all my gift needs um, or even my food shopping needs. I think that that where you can spread out your your shopping to earlier, uh, as well as to balance your budgets, given that um, we've I've got a fair number of people that are unemployed. I think we're going to see October capture more of the holiday spending than historically has been, and and I and then as you think about Thanksgiving, you know those huge family gatherings probably aren't going to be huge, but I think you're still going to see holiday gatherings. There's just going to be more of them in smaller groups. Uh, so for a grocer who usually focuses on that huge stock up trip and, you know, I, we've got to win the, the turkey buying trip, right? Because that usually is the biggest ticket. And then there's all the other side dishes and so on. Um, they've typically wanted to win that big trip, but they should not overlook the fact that they could be promoting um, party foods and drinks and catering offerings like their baked goods and their cakes and even their ready-made side dishes. Because you can count on the fact that restaurants, they are going to be going after the Thanksgiving weekend uh, for both pickup and delivery. So why let them win that share of stomach? So make sure that you're promoting um, through that entire weekend because there will still be celebrations and family gatherings and people that will travel to get together with family. Um, it just will be a, a smaller scale, I think. Um, and then as you think further into Christmas, uh, and those, those celebrations, one of the things that I think retailers, especially in the grocery and drug, um, and mass space need to start thinking about promoting, um, and gaining trips, um, around things that they can do that are gift oriented. So beauty gifts, um, you see gift sets all the time in the beauty department and drug stores. Make sure that the retail, the consumer knows that you um, you stock that because you've got to sell those items during the holiday season, and that could be something that the consumer could be buying in October and setting that aside. 
um, until the, till the big day happens in, in December. Um, alcohol gift sets are big in the grocery um, world. Make sure that you promote those as well, like a, um, just an overall, um, maybe it's a direct mail piece, uh, focusing on, on what your alcohol selections are, as well as those gift sets that they bring in and out just for that window of time. And grocers have always done a really good job with their gift card malls. So those kiosks that sit at the end of an aisle with lots of different gift cards of, uh, for different restaurants, even um, online ordering like Amazon gift cards and so on, uh, those are a key opportunity for them to start promoting that a little bit earlier than they would normally. Normally, they would promote them for you know stocking stuffers and closer to the holiday. But again, that consider how the consumer needs to spread out their dollars um, over the entire time frame. And I'd like to kind of go into a conversation about that said consumer. And, you know, we kind of traced over the fact that they're looking for, you know, delivery options. They have financial concerns. But now that we're a couple months into the pandemic and consumers have had a little time to adapt, what would you say is the foremost driving, uh, you know, thought or uh, driving mentality that kind of focuses what they're purchasing and what they're looking for when they go to a retail channel? Yeah, you know, I, I feel like we've all got, gone through this period of time of, um, I almost call it loss, because you think about when we suddenly had to be thrust into the situation, um, that loss of freedom, right? That loss of feeling safe, that um our favorite businesses were closed and we couldn't go visit them. And then you wondered if they were going to come back. Um, and, and hopefully um, we haven't seen many of our friends and family um, affected by the virus or even lo losing their life. And that is those, those feelings are still out there because now we have this anticipation of what the back half is going to look like. Um, and our regular flu season is going to kick in. So I think that um, depending on where you are in the country, what market you're in, what your level of outbreak is, you might you, you've got consumers who are very accepting of the impact of the pandemic. They've made adjustments to their personal behavior. They've made adjustments to their shopping. They've adopted online grocery buying um, that they never they never thought about doing in the past. I mean, I have, I have a mother who's in their, her 80s and she gets her online order in every single week. So it gets delivered to her retirement community. Who would have thunk that my, my mother could have figured that out? So, you know, those are behaviors that consumers have adopted, figured out, and actually probably been pretty pleased with. And will, will that replace their in-store trips in the future? I don't think so. I think it's going to be a blend. Um, I think consumers will see um, once we're past this this uh, unfortunate part of our um, our existence. I think they're going to actually say, you know what? I'm still going to order these things online. Uh, maybe I'll only order once a month, once a quarter, but I'm st I still like going to the store, and I still enjoy the experience of you know finding new items, uh, trying new products. My, my interaction with my local community that I see when I'm actually in my in my store. So I think that we're going to see some um, a balance of the online versus the in-store. Uh, and I and I think that, you know, as we we know the impact of the pandemic on people, people's loss of jobs, um, we're going to be seeing a lot more behaviors around thrift. Um, and when I say thrift, I mean, 
we're going to see consumers going to locations, stores where they probably would not have thought about shopping in the past, such as a dollar store, um, a discount store. We are already seeing in uh, data that we get from IRI that the trips and spending at dollar stores are up significantly compared to some of the other channels that we watch. Um, and that's even among what is characterized as high income shoppers, consumers who are making typically over 75,000 a year. So lots of different things I think we need to keep our focus on for the back half. And what would you think uh, consumers are thinking about the channels that you uh, pretty much cover with Velasquez? What do you think their mentality is when they look at a grocery, a drug chain, or one of the dollar chains you just spoke of? What is their mentality and their kind of emotional feeling with these kinds of retailers right now? You know, uh, they are getting great accolades when it comes to the way they've handled the safety precautions and protocols inside. Um, I, there's a variety of approaches that, you know, the different channels took, right? So grocers quickly moved towards, you know, cleaning the checkout stands, putting up the plexiglass separations. Um, and those safety precautions, while they definitely were a capital investment by the retailers, allowed consumers to say, you know what, I feel safe when I go to my grocery store. Yes, I have to wear a mask. Yes, I should have um, grab one of those wipes at the front end when I'm walking in the store and grabbing my cart just to make sure my cart's extra clean. Uh, all those things are things that, that I don't think will change as we look forward. Drug stores and dollar stores are smaller formats. So, um, and even some of our grocers like an Aldi or a Trader Joe's are also smaller formats. And many of them really took care to make sure that the headcount that was inside the store was acceptable so that there could be distancing. And all those, all those activities are all appreciated by consumers right now. Um, and now it's table stakes. So uh, they're going to have to continue to do those investments, um, whether it's people investment to clean carts or it's people investment to monitor headcount and allow the lines to, to wait outside until there's enough um, uh, space for them to be inside and shop. I think all those are all things that consumers today appreciate. And I would agree. I think at a time when the country really needed leadership, it was surprising for me to see that these grocery companies and other retailers that were selling food kind of led the way and did provide a lot of leadership when it came to showing, you know, how a consumer can feel safe to get items that they absolutely need. And I think that really kind of played into why they've done so well uh, in comparison to the overall economy. I know there are a lot of factors that would prop them up, but that doesn't come without its own set of challenges. And we kind of discussed some of those, but what would you say are some other major challenges that these retailers are facing kind of as the pandemic continues on? Yeah, there's a, there's a number of things. I mean, I think that um, while they benefited greatly and you can hear them talk on their um, quarterly earnings calls uh, regularly about how, how their business is up and basket sizes are up, you know, Yes, shoppers are making fewer trips to their stores because they're trying to, you know, do it all in one trip. They, it does feel like they're taking a bit too much credit for, um, for their marketing strategies because I think many of them um, have just benefited from the circumstances of being deemed essential, right? And as, as we settle into a groove and a behavior that looks like it's going to have to last for hopefully not too much more than another six to eight months. Um, what m my concern is, is that 
it may come back to haunt them where those that have winnowed back their marketing spending um, won't actually, will actually come back to haunt them, right? So that, um, you know, they, they have this, this thought that, oh, their good fortune is just going to continue because they are deemed essential. But I, I think that they're over, overlooking that there is competition out there. The competition in grocery drug and mass is not like the rest of retail, where rest of retail, you're you're seeing competition disappear. Um, stores are filing for bankruptcy. They're closing stores. In the case of grocery, we seem to have more and more competition. Um, we typically see grocers advertising in, in a specific radius around their stores and not thinking beyond that radius in terms of acquisition for new shoppers. But guess what? We now have on, online grocery delivery. Well hey, if you can deliver to this particular neighborhood, um, you have an opportunity for some new consumers. And there are retailers like Amazon and Walmart who um, think well beyond the retail radius that a grocer would think because they do ship just about everywhere. Um, so they re our grocers really have to think about protecting their consumers, deepening engagement with their current consumers um, and, and also thinking about their consumer is not just the consumer who will walk in my store, the consumer who will, who will order from me, but might not have walked, gone to my store because we were a little bit too far to drive to, but they'll take delivery from me. That's a potential opportunity, not only for that grocer, but also for them to fear that that consumer might use a Walmart or an Amazon for online grocery. So they have to think beyond their normal consumer profiles, if you will, for acquisition and um, to fight against the competition. We've actually seen Walmart um, has uh, acquired among new online grocery shoppers. They won more than 50% of the new online grocery shoppers. So that means they've probably tapped some of our regular brick and mortar grocers shopper profile. And I've seen data that supports the fact that whoever you used first for online, you will stick with. Um, and it might not be the store that you would normally have walked into for your in-store shopping. So the competition is pretty intense in grocery right now uh, because of that. So I, that's why I'd say, you know, you've got to make sure that you continue to spend um, against your marketing budget and think in new ways and, and expand beyond your typical just your weekly circular, which tends to be the biggest budget. You have to incorporate more digital media. You even have to think about um, emerging digital media like connected TV. I mean, we're all streaming <laughs> lots of Netflix and Amazon Prime videos right now because we're at home and we can't go to a movie theater as much as we might like to see first-run movies. So all those kind of things are, I think our grocers really need to um, lean in on. So, Julie, we've talked about Walmart and Target and a bunch of other different groceries, uh, you know, retailers in general, actually. But I was wondering if you could give us any examples of a grocery, drug, uh, dollar store chain or mass channel that you think really exemplifies the approach you endorse in the current climate. And any other success stories, really, that, you know, companies can leverage to improve their own operations. Yeah, you bet. Uh, you know, I've really been impressed with Kroger, uh, Giant Eagle, Albertsons and Walmart. Um they have all pivoted extremely well and and partly because they have the infrastructure in place to handle the new behaviors that consumers 
rapidly adopted. You know, the online grocery solutions were already there for pickup and delivery. And, um, and they also continued to advertise their promotions weekly in their circular and acknowledging things like the work their employees are doing every week and acknowledging their employees that graduated just right there in their circular, a long list of all their employees that graduated and didn't have the real graduation experience. Those are all things that hit to the, the consumer's heart and make them feel more endearing, endeared to their, um, their retailer. Um, and, and I think that many of them have uh, leveraged their loyalty platforms quite well to provide savings to their loyal shoppers. What I um, what impressed me about Walmart, um, in contrast to Kroger and Giant Eagle and Albertsons, is um, they don't really do weekly circulars, but they did drop a very well timed catalog uh, back in the spring that aligned at the right time with the consumer's interest on um, their home for their entertaining, their home improvement needs, family meals. Um, they they even thought beyond what being a retailer is all about and launched in. The parking lot movies that they're, um, you know, just pull up to their parking lot and they're they're showing movies off of the side of a truck. Uh, those are unique things that I think retailers all um, these retailers are all doing to to tap into the consumer psyche right now and just kind of make it a little bit more beyond your typical grocery experience. Um, and and I and I also felt like there's a lot of those retailers are doing a lot to promote across multiple media. And they're really doing a great job of deepening the engagement with their shoppers um, through digital, utilizing both, you know, owned and paid uh, media and, and just trying to win trips um, from current and new shoppers. So I think what they're doing is um, really tapping into some of the intel that we learned from our consumer intelligence report, which is all about, you know, the multiple touch points it takes to activate a consumer. And when it comes to an in-store trip, that's 3.5 touch points. So you can't just rely on, let's say, your weekly print circular. You have to incorporate some of those digital media that I mentioned earlier to activate consumers because they're all at different stages of life. They're at different age groups. And, you know, the, we're all inclined to use our phones uh, <laughs> for, for the multimedia need that we have. So don't overlook your mobile platforms. Um, but, I, yeah, I'd say Walmart. Albertsons, Kroger, Giant Eagle did a really um, excellent job in these last several months, and and I expect them to continue to do well. Excellent. So I think our listeners can do a little homework now that they know who to look to. And I think that about wraps it up for us this week on the Food Institute podcast. Uh, once again, I'd like to thank Julie for her time today. Uh, Julie, where can our listeners go to learn more about Velasis and you? You bet. Uh, you can learn all you want um, about Velasis if you go to velasis.com. That's V-A-L-A-S-S-I-S.com. Our media kit, our industry research, our infographs, the report I've been discussing, uh, and blogs are all out there. And, uh, and I'm on LinkedIn as well. So thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate the opportunity today. Uh, we loved having you on. We'll also share the relevant links in the description of this episode. So remember, if you're new to the Food Institute podcast, please follow, like, and share. If you'd like to learn more about the Food Institute, please take a look at the links in our description to learn more about us and what a membership could do for you and your company. So until next time, this is Chris Campbell signing off. Mm -hmm.